Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life, episode 742. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you create a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with your divine gifts. Today, I'm grateful to have Victoria Peltier, who is a guest. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So we were just chatting ahead of time about, uh, I asked you why you want to do this. And you said, you know, the obvious reason, business and spreading your message and, you know, awareness and getting opportunities to speak. And that's fine. Uh, but you said the second one, which is actually the core, the driver of of life and everything else. And that's about your story and helping people. And uh, I want you now that we talked about that just a little bit. Why is it important to Victoria to help? And, you know, it's a trite phrase. Every time you ask people, what do you want to do? Well, I like helping people. Okay, cool. Why do you want to, how do you want to help them and why? So I, I want to help the community and everyone that listens to me and those I can touch and serve to understand that they are, not alone. There were many times in my life where I felt alone, like I felt I was the only person experiencing a lot of the adversity and trauma I was experiencing. And I also had to learn to develop my muscle around how to be resilient in a healthy manner, because it wasn't always healthy. And so I feel that if I can share my story and some of the lessons I wish my earlier self knew, I might be able to help some people further along in their journey and recognizing they too can be my phrase unstoppable. Why is it important to you to do that? So I understand you've had some tough stuff happen and I don't minimize that in any way. I in fact share that journey with you and as do many. So why is it important to you to help those perhaps shortcut some of the things that took you a long time to learn? I didn't have that support myself personally. And so when I reflect back on the people I have who support me now, uh, and as I coach and mentor others, I realize how important it is for others. And that brings me, I remember taking a philosophy course in university. And so there was a real debate over whether altruism really exists or not. Uh, but I will tell you that I, I gain significant benefit and joy from sharing my story and knowing that I am helping others. I, I talk a lot about the word joy and filling that bucket up for me and m the ability to speak and share my experience and lessons with others really is meaningful for me. Makes me just feel good. So is, uh, is it not altruistic if we get rewarded when we do good? Well, that goes at the, the very basis of altruism. I remember talking to his mother, Teresa, really altruistic. Does she, my university professor was quite, you know, quite bold. And again, it was a, a great debate in class. And so 
I don't know, altruism will be, you know, about helping others, but at the end of the day, there's a benefit to me doing it. So much like when you think about people who do charitable contributions, are they doing it truly because they want to donate money or because they get a tax receipt to reduce their taxes? Um, so, I mean, you, I get a good, healthy debate. Um, so for me, I enjoy doing it. I believe it's the right thing to do, but I certainly benefit from doing it. So I will come down squarely on the side of, yes, there's altruism, and the benefit that you and I get from doing the work that we do is peripheral. And the interesting thing is it causes our, our souls literally to expand. We become more substantive people. There's more to us. You know, when someone isn't, doesn't have any of that, and it's mostly for self-aggrandizement or wealth accumulation or something, it, it, it's almost like they're vacuous. There's nothing there. You know what I mean? And and so I, I will come down squarely on the side. Yes, there's altruism, and I couldn't care less if you get the personal satisfaction that explodes to a million. That's un, it's really not quantifiable as something you decide to enjoy, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you can decide you hate it if you want to, but that would be silly. So enjoy it. I support it. Yay. So I have another question. It's the only question I ask all guests. Uh, I don't like go from list of questions because it's more fun when we don't. Um, I talk about uh, the ultimate life, and I define it because it's otherwise just this squishy thing. And I say it's a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that you create <clears throat> by serving with the gifts that you have. And I call them divine gifts because for me there's a spiritual dimension. And I believe that that is the ultimate life, but that's my definition. So how would Victoria define the ultimate life for you? So some of the words, Kellen, that you use are ones that I regularly mm -hmm. um, use as well. And so the notion of living with, per with everything I do with purpose, whether that's in my professional life, I want to have a demonstrable impact on the clients that I serve and bringing benefit as they define it within their organizations to their customers or their employees, and also within the employees and the teams that I'm directly supporting. So there's a purpose that can be articulated around value creation. And I don't just mean in from a monetary perspective, but then purpose in terms of everything I do. So I purposefully lead a very healthy and fit lifestyle because I wish to be here on this earth a lot longer. And so all of that for me is around purpose, around the people I choose. I've, I don't have a large biological family, but the family I've chosen around me, my friends have become that family. And that was highly purposeful around who I have around me. I was wearing a shirt yesterday that said, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a bit of a joke, but I don't want to be part of your drama, but I want to know hundred uh, percent, uh, you know, of exactly what's happened. And so a joke, but I mean, I don't want to be part, I choose not to purposefully have negativity and drama around me to the extent that I may have the ability to control it. So life for me is about living with purpose in all of the various facets of my life. And it, for me, it's holistic. I don't create complete compartmentalization of all of those. And it means about being, I, I said to my children as they were, you know, younger and growing up, I just want you to be successful. And I'm like, but successful is how you are going to define that. 
if you choose to be in a relationship and be partnered, then you're one where it's loving and you're happy and you feel safe and supported within it. And I said, and whatever you choose to do from a career or professional standpoint and the money that you earn from that will be enough to sustain whatever lifestyle you choose. Um, and so I, I think they felt um, a lot of pressure to maybe achieve the levels I have from a career perspective. And so I've had to you know, be really clear and vocal around what my expectations for their own life is and how can I help support them on that journey. And then the, the corollary to that question is, um, thank you for sharing that. I love your commitment to purpose and specifically the, the inclusion of all aspects of life. I had a I did a very, very, very intense startup, which were seven, seven by 16 for almost two years, cost a lot of families and divorces and pain and everything. It was a monumental first in the world kind of project, et cetera. So people were excited about it, but it cost a lot. Anyway, the guy that was the CEO, that was the COO at the time. And he, you know, the idea of work-life balance, that, that, fictional notion that we toss around he 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 laughed at ah you know sort of i don't care leave all that crap at home and we know the truth is we are one being and everything affects everything else i'm grateful for your extension so the set corollary to the question is this you've defined the ultimate life and you've included all this purpose and we hear a lot of crap about that on the internet and and in books and self-help and blah blah blah, blah. and uh, I, I, my question is, do you think it's possible to live on a day-to-day -day basis that ultimate life, or is that just hype? I, I think it's a challenge. And not because we ourselves can't articulate what purpose means for us, but we live in an environment and we need to sustain for ourselves and not all of those around us operate in that same way. And so um, it means making bold decisions and moves if you want to remain with conviction around the purpose you've stated and you choose to live within. But again, there's a lot of things that are outside of our control. And that is the part that challenges, I think, our day-to-day our -day ability to drive forward with purpose in the way in which we would define it aligned and also aligned to our values. Okay, thank you for articulating that challenge because it's real. Um, the thing I always talk about is it, that joy isn't or happiness isn't something that you, you know, one day when all this happens or I get this done, I'll be happy when, I'll be joyful when but it's available here now today, even with the challenges that you so correctly and, and articulately described, because uh, we don't control all that stuff. There was a dude that wrote a book, Krishnamurti, uh, and I forgot his first name, and it's equally long, but he, he um, philosoph he's not a philosopher type and meditation type, and I have some of his books, and you know they're like this thick, and... <laughs> He, he, someone asked him, well, how do you do it? How do you maintain, you know, that kind of equanimity? And he's also a little bit funny, and he sort of furtively said, I have a secret. I don't mind what happens. And that was his, you know, and it's true. Like, whatever happens, that's okay. I don't mind that. I'm going to keep where I am here 
So I, um, let's just move off that topic. I want you to tell me, you weren't born at the top of the hill that you're on right now, and you're on a mission, and you're accomplishing something, and you're mentoring people, and you talked about clients and companies that you work with. You weren't born at the top. Nobody is. Nobody falls up the mountain. And it's in my experience, especially with people that I have on the show, the climb from where they were to where they are now, wherever they are on top of whatever mountain or hill, is is difficult, it is unique, and it is interesting. Can you, you share both a little of the, or however much you'd like, of the journey and the learning? Like, what has it done for your soul, the, the essence and the truth of who you are? Sure. I, um, I, it would be difficult for me to tell you about where I sit on the hill, the proverbial hill today without telling you about what my, my why I'm a, you know, big fan of Simon Sinek and this whole notion of start with why, but for me, it also connects back to my, how I choose to connect with people again, what motivators, the whole person, how do they show up? So for me, you need to know, Kellen, I, I really come from incredibly difficult beginnings. So I'm, I was born to a drug addicted teenage mother who was exceptionally abusive to me, you know, cigarette on my eye, pushed up and down stairs in and out of um, care multiple times. Uh, I was ultimately removed from her care. I was fortunate to be adopted um, because I could have sat in the child welfare system for, for the rest of my childhood years. And my, the parents that adopted me, you know, were lower on the socioeconomic um, uh, totem pole, so to speak. And I remember my mom saying to me at some point, I think I was 11. She's like, Tori, you need to do better than us. Again, her, she meant socioeconomically pushing me from a school perspective. She was a secretary and my dad, a school janitor. And I will tell you, she never actually needed to utter those words to me because without being able to articulate it at that age, I knew I was going to be better than either the biology or the circumstance I was then adopted and raised in. That's where my drive from a professional standpoint came. You know, I, I never needed to worry about clothes on my back. Now, mind you, they came from Kmart and I didn't get to go on school trips or vacation. But my work ethic came very early um, because I wanted anything I wanted outside of basics I would need to provide, but also because I felt in control while I worked. My work ethic, uh, my performance was all about me. So I started working at age 11 in a um, hair salon, doing everything except the actual, you know, cutting and coloring of hair. And then moved in and I worked in retail and became the assistant manager of a shoe store at 14. Uh, wow. And then from, <laughs> from there, I, I continued to focus while I was in university. I worked at, um, you know, a bank. And with the intent, just, you know, the funny thing is I, I had planned from probably to age 10 or 11 because I watched so much LA law with my mother that I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I think I had like my little tween age fangirl crush and the actor Corbin Burnson. Um, and while I was in university, I worked for a bank and I got promoted within six months into a leadership role. So when they relocated me cross country right out of school, I just thought I was taking a year off before going to law school. And it turned out, and so one of the pieces of career advice I give to people is to follow your joy, follow your passion, this notion of ikigai. If you're familiar with the Japanese philosophy of doing, you know, not only what are you good at, what can you be paid for, what do you enjoy doing? And so I followed that path and I never went to law school, nor did I move back out west where I grew up. And I stayed in the corporate world. 
And my like maniacal focus on improving my skills and demonstrating my strong work ethic is what got me promoted to chief operating officer at age 24 as a brand new mother in a massive stretch role. And I've continued on that path ever since. I love the dynamics of working in a business-to-business environment and serving multiple constituents, clients that foot the bill, and then either their customers or their employees. And I've I've learned a lot along that path, but I'll stop and see what questions you have for me. So what I'm hearing, the answer to the question is the the fuel for the driver or the fuel for the growth was your circumstance, your determination to be better, to have more, to, you know, you whatever words are appropriate in the listener's mind. And you also mentioned you felt in control, like this was yours to do because you could control how hard you worked and how much you learned and how you showed up and all that stuff. And so the circumstances and the ability to control is what drove you up this hill. So that's that's what I've got so far. When did, uh, at what point did um, a larger, and I call it larger because it feels larger to me, I don't know, a larger thing about the meaning of life and the purpose of sort of uh, the service purpose, when did that come into the equation uh, after the 24th, so you, you busted your butt, you've made a lot of good decisions and worked really hard and got there. And, and at what point did something else come in and say, Hmm, there's more to it than, than what I've seen so far. There, there were a few moments for me. Um, so one, my work ethic and my, my ability to perform got me so far, but then as I sat in an executive role, the, the realization of, how critically important it was to have uh, strong team dynamics. You know, I, I will say now I want a team that would follow me into the proverbial fire versus be fearful of me. And I think my early years informed the way in which I showed up. I created these artificial barriers around me for fear of rejection or being vulnerable and what that would mean. So I showed up in a certain way in the work environment, you know, to be nicknamed the Iron Maiden at some point. And that was because of, I've also been through 18 mergers and acquisitions. You make really difficult decisions when you're, when, when going through those kinds of exercises, but I didn't build these trust, this trusted relationship with my, my team. So I had to look at the woman in the mirror and say, like, this isn't the type of leader I would want to work for. I knew inside my nickname is turtle, right? Tough exterior. I can shoulder a lot, but I'm really all soft and marshmallow inside, but no one saw that. And so I needed to be a very different kind of leader, but that just meant being a very different individual and in how I showed up. So that was sort of lesson number one. And it took, I needed to build the muscle to, you know, show up in a very different way, to engage in a very different way to the point that now it's just completely innate in who I am. I mean, I'm, I talk to strangers, you know, in elevators, I will regularly engage and share stories and try to build, build these, this deep connection with people quite quickly. But then also this notion around, you know, purpose in serving others and sharing came from continuing to coach others in the corporate world, sharing my story. I couldn't tell the how I got to where I did and the lessons I'd learned without starting to tell a little bit more of who I was and how I'd learned and how I'd stumbled and made mistakes along the way. And the other was um, one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made in my life was actually choosing to get divorced from my ex, whom I had two children with, who 
unfortunately then passed away within a couple of years after we separated from a second bout of cancer. And those two moments for me, one was I realized I wasn't happy in a marriage, but I was choosing to stay in it for my my children and wanting to be fulfilled much more so and recognizing once I left and several years afterwards, the joy it brought me. And so how can I help others through that journey? But also when she passed away, it just caused me, I'd worked hard to, you know, to get on that top of that hill, as you said, but that came with money and stuff. And that was a moment for me in an instant where I'm like, none of that means anything. At the end of the day, my children and how could I bring them through this next phase? Um, I made decisions career-wise. And at that point, you you prioritize and do different things. There's compromise you make over the course of your career um, for different reasons at different times. And that was one for me where I then chose a life where um, you know, I shed a lot of those things to focus on the things that meant most to me. And those were the people closest to me and, and my children in particular. And again, my ability to articulate, you know, the decisions I'd made and, and how I felt I was a much better person and better to support everyone around me as a result of some of those decisions was the reason why I shifted and began to, you know, share and do as much as I do publicly. Um, so in, in that description, you said, uh, gee, I looked in the mirror and I realized I needed to do this. And so I decided I needed to, you know, you, you described it in the same fashion as your determination to climb the hill. I looked at it. I knew I needed a new thing. So I went and did this new thing. That's good. And my question is this, and I don't know the answer. And I don't know if you'll even like the question, but that's okay. <laughs> Often when we come to realize what's really important in the universe, in life, in what matters, and you described, I, you, you know, I, I had to compromise. If, you, if it's not a compromise, often people come to make those decisions when they smash, the train hits a wall and something breaks. And instead of looking at it and saying, I'm going to take charge and move in a new direction, they find themselves wondering, this is not where I meant to be. What next? Were the decisions you made about who you're building always from this place of, hmm, I've made an analysis, and I like where I am, and I'm going to go do this, or I don't like where I am, and I'm going to do this? Or were there times when the train wrecked? Um. I, I don't think I've ever, I shouldn't say, in business, I, uh, I've faced accidents. I don't know if I'll call them train wrecks. Um, you know, that, that, that moment where I had to look at myself in the mirror, it wasn't, wasn't a train wreck by all accounts. My leadership team would have said I was performing exceptionally well. The train wreck was, you know, I, I was called Iron Maiden. Uh, you know, I came in on a Monday talking about my weekend experience, crying, watching a movie in the movie theater. And the woman just kind of looked at me, not believing I had emotion and that I might laugh at people who cried at movies. So it, that would be a train wreck in terms of me recognizing like that. I don't want to be that person. So you're you know, telling I, me the train wreck was that I'm not who I'd appear to be. There is a lack of integrity between my appearance and the truth of my being. Correct. 
Okay, so yeah, I I use the word train wreck to be sort of dramatic, but whatever it is, that was like holy crap! Everybody thinks I'm this and I'm not, and I don't like it. Right. Okay. Yes. Keep keep going. You know there and there have been other moments where you know less on. Um, I, I wasn't in control. There's a, there's one organization I worked at in particular that was exceptionally toxic. The behaviors they allowed within that organization, ethically, um, like, and beyond, were just horrific. And I'm I'm the type again. You my no excuses mantra, right? Like you attempt to change the things you can, control the things you can. And then to the point where you recognize you, you you can't. So in this organization, six months before I resigned, I went to our top leadership team in the organization and I said, you know, I'm in a position to help. I, I actually often work with clients on their culture and leadership and their organizational transformations. Can I help with our own? Like we're broken. Um, and I felt, first of all, I got out, oh, Victoria, that's great. But then no one actually pulled me into the process. And um, I made the decision to quit six months later. You know, that organization to me was a train wreck. You know, uh, in the in the people and the way they continued to serve and what I saw. And so for me, I made a choice um, to exit. And I, you know, tons of money was, you know, thrown around or different roles. And I remember saying to them, you know, there's no amount of money that will solve for our current leadership and culture crisis. So if I stayed for whatever things you're going to throw at me, I'd be a complete hypocrite. And that decision to leave, you know, for me, you know, I'd, I'd established I'd only been there for a few years, but it was at a time where I'd also made a physical move um, not too long previous. And you look at definitions like of, you know, the stressors in people's lives. So I'd physically moved. I'm now talking about a job change. You know, I've got, you know, my younger one was, you know, at a, at a you know, difficult time, you know, in their life at that point. Um, but ultimately I took it, you know, control and what was in my hands and, and made a move, but it created a significant wake behind me, but also challenge in front of me in terms of starting all over again and establishing trust and credibility into a new organization. Well, that's a fabulous answer and it's good. I love it. Thank you for, for sharing that. So you do a lot of work. You've talked about working with culture, uh, helping people understand their culture and what's toxic and what's not. And that is really applicable on a number of levels. So often in our own lives as individuals, we have a toxic culture, <laughs> a toxic culture in your own life, how you talk to yourself, who you are around yourself, how you treat yourself. So there's toxicity there. There's toxicity or potential toxicity in your close relationships, well, your partner, your family, the things you allow, the friends, the places you exist. And there's possible either positive or negative things in your work place and all of the rest of it in in creating the ultimate life a life of purpose prosperity and joy addressing recognizing addressing and ultimately changing quickly through a move like you did resigning and going somewhere else or through an intentional process of growth is important if you're truly going to live with internal peace consistency and joy uh, all the way from personal toxicity to corporate, family, relationships. How do you help people who come to you, whether they're individuals or corporations or anywhere in between, 
identify and address that kind of toxic culture so that they can move toward purpose and prosperity and joy. Well, there's a critical element in moving forward when you've identified that toxicity. That is like awareness and self-reflection. And with organizations that often comes through significant amount of interviewing, of surveying, plus to whatever extent you can, personal observation of it as well. But as I walk into new organizations, I'm relying upon a conversation with multitudes of people in terms of what their experience has been. And so gathering a lot of data around it. The next part is, and and on an individual level, the same thing. You know, I, I you know, my, my mother, I hated her for it as a teenager, like forcing me to sit down when I would do something or I would have an emotion. And she's like, Tori, let's sit down and like, let's work through and understand why do you feel this way? Why did you act this way? This incredible self-awareness and reflection for me has been super helpful in my ability to, when I said, you know, the train wreck of me not showing up in the way that, and and I, there's persona that people saw me as, I then needed to spend a lot of time self-reflect, like why, why, where's this coming from and how do I do it differently? And so I bring that into the workplace as well. So once we have, you know, data um, and, you know, um, reflection and assessment completed, the next part of that is, you know, really radical candor. You know, so when people choose to work with me um, on a one-on-one basis, even for executive coaching, I'm like, before I take this on, like, let's understand the dynamic and how we're working here, because I'm going to say some things. You said you're going to say a question. I might not like it. Like that, that's how I am. I'm going to get you to dig deep. I'm going to challenge the beliefs. You know, and I'm going to say some things you might not want to hear, but I'm going to do it from a place of care and compassion. You know, so I remember working with one a CEO of a multi-billion dollar organization. And I remember saying to him, challenging him on something. And by the way, part of the work was on purpose and looking at their ESG goals and everything to be a better organization. And I remember saying to him, Patrick, I don't think you hired us, the organization that I work for, you know, to tell you what you want to hear. And it was something really bold. And I think he, you know, he kind of reeled back. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that that caused him to need to reflect on it and learn to make um, different decisions and or engage in a very different way than he had previously. So self-reflection or awareness and the data and assessment and that really radical, like candid feedback from a place, a, a positive place of intention, compassion and care to then build a plan to move forward to address the toxicity, the, you know, challenge that sits in, uh, sits ahead. So that's a great answer. And uh, the, for the listeners, I want you to think about, because I structured it on purpose, the same things that she said apply with you, with your own relationship when you're sitting by yourself in your room, to the families around you, to the friends around you, to businesses, to larger corporate structures. Um, we're, we're, we just have a few minutes left, and I want you to think for a moment and talk to the individual heart of each listener. What would you leave them with? I mean, you've accomplished a lot. You've talked a lot with precision and clarity and directness and organization and taking control, and that's and piece of your nature. And speaking to the heart of each person, what would you leave them with in the context of achieving their ultimate life? I believe we're we're the CEO of 
us as an individual and we're, we are in control. You know, my mantra over, of being unstoppable is about being incredibly resilient and recognizing that we, we have choice, but that said, you know, it's like a, this notion of being resilient is a, is a muscle that you need to build. And I think there's a way to do that, you know, with, you know, with support um, and advice from others, much like, you know, you're um, providing to everyone, your listening audience today. And so it's some of what we just talked about in terms of living their own unstoppable purpose-filled lives of joy is, you know, around being creating, um, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goals, like setting those for yourselves and don't let anyone, you know, define for you how, how narrow you can go. Let keep those, the aperture really wide, um, be really reflective and lean into the things that make you just uncomfortable because otherwise the growth won't come and recognize that you need to find a great support around you, you know, ideally drama free, um, you know, group around you of people you've chosen to help support you. And that also failure will happen and give yourself permission, you know, for those things to occur in your life. And then just anchor back to, again, that goal, an objective you have of that purpose-filled life. I always say to people, those who dare greatly fail greatly. So carry a big blanket of forgiveness. Um, Victoria, I want you to tell people who want to find you, follow you, learn more. How should they do that? Well, I have a website, which is victoria-pelletier.com, or you can Google me. I'm probably in the most of the first 10 pages. Or if you're in the business world, you can certainly look me up on LinkedIn. Thank you for sharing with us today. I appreciate you coming. Thanks for having me. I want you listeners to take advantage of this. This is a woman who has struggled with her own beginnings, who's taken control, who has achieved a degree of mastery and continues to work both on her own circumstance and in sharing and blessing the lives of those around her. If you choose to use these lessons and these stories and examine yourself, they will help you as you build your ultimate life. Open your heart in this time Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart.